fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about being enslaved by artificial intelligence with my friend Vienno. As one does, as one does. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll probably be addressing this in the intro. I'm less than a week away from going to Finland uh, for a little bit. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed Russia doesn't invade, etc., etc. <laughs> um, fingers crossed monkeypox isn't too present, etc., etc. Uh, <laughs> shit's weird these days, huh? <laughs> Is monkeypox prevalent in Finland right now? Is there a... Uh, it's prevalent in Europe and North America. Like okay. those are the places where it's spreading right now. Um, Fun. Yeah. Woohoo. What great times to live in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jody's going to have to find a guest host for a little bit because I'm peacing out. I'm dipping. I'm not bringing my, bringing my recording equipment <laughs> with me. <laughs> All the way to Finland? Yeah. No? Yeah, we will, we will have guest hosts for, uh, likely for sure the next two episodes and then we'll see about the third how Vienno's feeling when they get back <laughs> but uh definitely two weeks and we'll see about the third uh but yeah i hope you enjoy yourself i hope it's i mean it's a finnish summer is it still cold in finland even now or uh yeah like some of the areas that i'm going to like Hot temperatures are 15 degrees, so it won't be warm. I will not be sweating, but that doesn't sound too bad, honestly, considering how awful it's been here. Yeah, I mean, um, it's been pretty cold already, <laughs> especially the last uh, week or so. It's getting a little warmer today. but Yeah, but, you know, it'll be, it'll be cool enough that I'll get to wear sweaters outside, which it has not been here for a good, like, two months now. Um. But yeah, how are you, Jody? I am feeling okay, you know. Uh, nothing spectacular. I I'm I am actually uh, looking forward to doing this episode. <laughs> We're gonna crack the nugget on the World Economic Forum conspiracy theory today. So we're I'm like pumped. We're gonna get the info. We're getting the inside scoop. Perfect. We have Finally. the person who's at the who's behind the curtain. <laughs> They got Chuck Schumer or whatever the fuck on nope. on the show. It's it's uh my guess is you don't even know who this person is. I mean, I, it sounds like your guess is it's Chuck Schumer. No, it's <laughs> well, it's Schultz or whatever, but I can't remember his first name, so I just said Chuck Schumer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out when we get to it. Uh, but uh, we have more episode before we arrive there, so we might as well just uh, jump into it. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. So we're covering the week of June 6th to June 10th. And uh, weirdly enough, they've kind of rebranded. There's still Rebel News. But, like, they've changed their, like, logo. It looks a little bit more chrome now. And they have, like, a new introduction and everything. They've they've changed the whole thing up. So 
ever since we started, they've had the same introduction music. They've had the same like in in between segments music, and all that has changed now. It's a whole new canvas. <laughs> There's a, a sense in which I like it because it, it's faster. So the other one was like you know he would play clips of him yelling at the people in the human rights tribunal and like it was making him look like I'm I'm this like fighter of of tyranny. I'm I'm Ezra Levant, and now it's like really short it's just like a bit of horns and then the only clip so they do have a clip of him being ezra uh but it's him just yelling uh shame on you you censorious thug (laughs) and that's it (laughs) that's really good (laughs) so uh, censorious thug yeah i can't even like that could be taken from so many incidents that i i don't know which one it was i have a feeling that was him yelling at the police in montreal when they like raided their boat but i i can't remember it could have been so many different situations sorry i'm just changing my twitter name to that censorious thug <laughs> yeah yeah it's probably going to be uh directed at us personally <laughs> we we are the censorious thugs but I, I just thought that was interesting that they, they've done this whole new, uh, uh, I guess, you know, in, in terms of them, again, when we started this thing, they were on the decline, and now they have a whole team uh, redoing all their graphics, creating music for them and stuff, so it's like, they're getting money again, is, is what this mm-hmm. feels like. And uh, I don't like that, but uh, at least this is a, a sign, like another signpost that is indicative of that. They should have just died a long time ago, but instead they're getting money to redo their graphics and whatnot. Woohoo. So now we get to the meat of the episode, and on the Monday episode, June 6th, Ezra wants to talk about the Supreme Court of Canada because one of the chief justices, Richard Wagner, uh, wrote, I don't know if he, he was like speaking somewhere or he wrote a piece where basically he was like, those truckers in Ottawa, they're bad. And <laughs> and uh, Ezra is like, how dare this judge prejudge the truckers? Uh, now he's a politician. He's no longer a judge. He can't be apolitical as a judge because he's saying things about the truckers. <laughs> and that is... <laughs> That is the majority of the episode, but we will cover some of the points uh, that he hits along the way. So, Ezra starts by bringing up this recent decision, I guess, to show you how close we are to slipping into tyranny. And it was a a 5-4 decision, and it's a case that's called Mike Ward v. Quebec. Have you ever heard of this case, even just by the name? No. So this was a ruling that came down by the Supreme Court last October, I believe. And it's about this guy named Mike Ward who did a stand-up routine where I will just say for now, we'll get into the details, but he mocked a disabled person as part of his routine, like an Mm -hmm. actual person. Their name is Gabriel. And Gabriel was publicly known, like had done TV appearances uh about their disability and they were 15 at the time when 
uh, or might have even been younger, when this comedian Mike Ward started doing the stand-up routine. Okay. Oh my God. So the the court ruled. So uh, I guess there was initially a human rights tribunal case, and the human rights tribunal ruled in Gabriel's favor. But when it got all the way up to the Supreme Court, they ruled five four in favor of uh, Mike Ward and his appeal, and therefore uh, we'll we'll get into the details. But basically, in the end, the comedian won and was allowed to say whatever he said, and we'll discuss whether we think that is justified or not but we'll start by hearing ezra's description of the case itself so here we go the supreme court came within one vote of criminalizing a comedian's jokes remember that case it was a 5-4 ruling in favor of mike ward that's a comedian in quebec and his right to make fun of a disabled kid in a comedy sketch now I'm not a fan of making fun of disabled kids, but I'm a lot more scared of a government, which is what a Supreme Court is, that tells me what jokes can be said and what jokes can't be said. A lot more scared of that than what some comedian gets up to in some 18 plus nightclub. Right away, I guess we should know that there are laws in Canada against certain kinds of speech. So. That is, the question then is whether or not, in this case, it crosses that threshold in some ways, such that it was actually speech that falls under our laws against hate speech or not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, he acts like somehow we were safeguarded in this one instant, <laughs> where where if, if the, the court decided 5-4 the other way that somehow free speech would have been dead in Canada. But technically, it's already dead in Canada. And good riddance, in my opinion. <laughs> but, uh, alright. Now for, like, what is going on in this case. So, it was a 5-4 decision. And as far as I can tell, the five judges that uh, argued in favor of Mike Ward said that Mike Ward's speech did not count as discriminatory speech because Gabriel uh, was targeted since he was well known, so we, like, so he was targeted because he was a public figure and not because he was disabled. Th- so, I don't buy that. Yeah. <laughs> the other half of their argument is that a reasonable, a reasonable person in the audience would not be led to discriminate against Gabriel or disabled people generally after listening to the stand-up routine. Now, we'll get into the context, but already I'm curious of your, your thoughts of, of their decision already. That, I don't really buy that either. Like, oh yeah, the comedian was making fun of this kid, but I I wouldn't, you know? Like, I laughed at the joke. Yeah, sure, you're, yeah, like, you know, hilarious, hilarious guy. I would never, you know... What laugh at a laugh at an offensive joke about the kid? No, no, of course not. What are you saying? I also find like the the public. I don't know. It's like if you're making fun of the person because they're a public figure and they're a public figure because of their disability, then you're still like making fun of the disability in some capacity. Yeah. So it's like I don't even buy the first argument, but like whatever. Five five judges on our Supreme Court happen to make this decision so however the four dissenting judges are pretty clear that the stand-up uh 
the speech in the comedy routine targeted Gabriel's humanity and promoted hatred towards people with disabilities. If you want to understand the context, at one point, Mike Ward literally joked about, in his joke, I don't think it's a joke, he basically said that all disabled people should just drown and die because they're of, like, no use to society. Whoa, whoa, it's a future Jody here. I, uh, you know, when I was editing this, I, I wanted to go back just to make sure that I was uh, accurately portraying what the comedian said because, you know, I didn't want to, one, be wrong, and two, say something that uh, could be conceived as defamatory or whatever. And, like, I looked back, and, and what I said in the initial recording of this was that Mike Ward's joke was pointing to the fact that uh, disabled people are inherently useless and that they should die by drowning. Now, his joke, I think, implies that. It isn't literal. I guess his implication is uh, of the joke is that this one particular individual, Gabriel, uh, they all thought he was supposed to die, and then he didn't die, so then he went out to try to kill Gabriel or something uh, by drowning Gabriel, and that's the joke. Now, I, I still don't find it funny. I also still uh, think the implication there is that, you know, disabled people uh, are only of value or deserving of our sympathy if they're on their way out or or discarded. And so it is a very, uh, you know, it is a joke that targets uh, people with disabilities. I think the thing that I took issue with how I framed it is that I said, uh, Mike Ward literally said that the, uh, uh, that disabled people are useless, and he didn't uh, literally say that. So I just wanted to come on here and be clear about the context of the joke before I put out this episode. But the, the joke is still, uh, you know, still bad. Still bad. Uh, you know, on a scale of a 1 to 10, 10 being really bad, it's a 10, you know? This is a bad joke. So uh, you could go back to the episode. I'll leave in the rest. I just felt like I needed to make this clarification. All right. That is the gist of his joke and his stand-up routine, which to me is way more inciting and way more harmful to dis like disabled people generally. And in a in a comedy routine, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what these other five like, judges are fucking thinking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the other the other question is is like so that that gets to the whether it was actually discrimination or not, and like that on the face of it, I'm like, yeah, that sounds pretty discriminatory. That that goes beyond just like poking fun at an individual, for example. That's like saying that all disabled people should go away, you know. The next part of the argument, though, is whether or not any reasonable person listening to this speech would have gone out and committed an act uh, against disabled people. And for evidence, they described that he performed the same joke to over 230 audiences, amounting to over 100,000 people. And he also uh, had the routine on a DVD, which sold 7,500 uh, 7, copies. And it was plastered all over the internet. So Ezra does this like throwaway comment in the clip that we just heard about like, I don't care what goes on in like 18 plus venues. But this clearly extended beyond the confines of uh, the comedy club. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. So then the question is, okay, so it was widespread, but did it have an effect on people? And one of the arguments going all the way back to the beginning of the, when this was at the human rights tribunal phase of this argument, the comedy routine had such a large reach that kids at Gabriel's school were mocking him using the material from this comedy routine. Okay? So that like directly points to the fact that yes, reasonable people heard this comedy routine and then weaponized mm -hmm. it against disabled people. I want to know like what what the other five judges were like on when they made this fucking ruling. Well, they were on ableism. It's pretty easy, Jody. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Say what you will. I think like a lot there's a lot of people out there that find intuitive of like, yo, co comedians need to be free to to test the boundaries and say what they got to say or or whatever. There's there's a difference between like pushing boundaries and like saying a whole group of people should die as part of your comedy routine, you know? It's also like okay, sure, they should be able to test boundaries. What happens when they hit those boundaries? Yeah. Like I mean like we could also like where should the boundaries be? And I don't know. Promoting hatred against a group of people is probably a good place to draw that boundary. You know? Yeah, no, that's the thing. It's like, okay, they've hit the boundary of what is considered acceptable in society. What consequences do they face for hitting that boundary? Well, that's a slippery slope, yo. It's a slippery True. slope. That means all speech is gone now. You can't even talk about anything. <laughs> What are we even doing on this podcast? We, we're words. You can't say words anymore. Shh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well. They're going to get you. I just, I always love how, you know, Ezra, whenever he covers court cases, he, it's always this like thin veneer, ignoring all the like meaty details, which really sort of like highlight why this case was so important and why like the judge's decision here in my opinion were problematic you know instead it's just like oh comedians should be able to say whatever i'm not going to tell you what he actually said <laughs> i'm not going to give you any of the details the other thing that i found interesting though is that ezra didn't discuss the human rights tribunal portion of this case because again for anyone who uh you know, is a Patreon supporter of this uh, show, you can now listen right now to Eric and I going through Ezra's book, Shakedown, which kind of made uh, Ezra who he is. You know, Shakedown, the whole point of that book was Ezra going after the human rights tribunals, saying that, like, uh, it's an extrajudicial thing that's sort of outside the legal system and it takes advantage of people. But here is a prime case where, like, Yes, it started in the Human Rights Tribunal, but you are able to fight those within the legal system all the way up to the Supreme Court, and you can reverse the decision if you make your case, uh, which this guy apparently did, you know, which counteracts mm. Ezra's whole point when he wrote the book Shakedown, uh, <laughs> which is probably why he didn't bring it up here. But uh, yeah, it, then it's like, why bring this up at all then at this point, you know? So Ezra then goes on uh, an extended rant about another one of uh, 
the justices, although this person is an ex-justice. She was the last chief justice before Richard Wagner took her place, and that's Beverly McLaughlin. And he's gone on rants about her before, but I've kind of just ignored it because most of what he says has to do with, like, her intentions or her personal beliefs. And, like, I have no way to research that or access, like, what she actually believes. So, like, he claims that she's, like, best friends with Justin Trudeau and that somehow uh, he has influenced some of her decisions on the court and that... So then she got a job. Uh, I guess there's like a a court in Hong Kong that takes people from outside of Hong Kong to sit as a part of their court. So yeah. Beverly McLaughlin is currently sitting on that court. And she was in like a kind of controversy that I, I'm not sure how to appropriately assess it. Like, I feel like it will take too much to to know the whole background of this court and like other stuff like this. But during the... Uh, the activists are, or the, the protests that were happening in Hong Kong, a couple of the judges resigned from that court, but she stayed on. And a lot of people criticized her for staying on. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even sure, like, I don't know why she stayed on or like whatever. It could have been for bad reasons. It could have been for good reasons. I don't know. Like, it, I, I just haven't... Uh, she hasn't really been clear about her reasons, you know? But Ezra seems to think that this is evidence that somehow there's a connection between her, Justin Trudeau, and Xi Jinping, and they're, like, all best friends and, like, wanting to, like, I don't know, China bad. <laughs> and I'm sure, That's... like, I'm sure she, her being on that court, like, in her decision not to resign is probably shitty, you know? So then that brings us back around to the fact that Richard Wagner criticized the truckers. And, you know, I don't really care. But Ezra's whole point, like, he then he then makes this argument that he wishes our Supreme Court was as politicized as the Supreme Court is in the United States. And there's a part of that that I kind of agree with in that I think that a lot of Canadians just sort of ignore the Supreme Court and don't think about it. And I think it is important to realize that this is like, they are political appointments. They have that sort of like veneer, this sort of like illusion that they're supposed to be like above the politics, that they're judges who are just seemingly on high and can make their decisions free from bias. But I don't Mm. think that's the case. And I think we should understand that dynamic a bit more as Canadians, right? But Ezra seems to want to make them political so he can appoint far-right judges. That's, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. He wants partisanship. Like Right. I mean, he jumps from this point about, us wa- about him wanting to make it more political and then criticizes Richard Wagner for criticizing the truckers as being political. So it's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> Either you want them to be pol- political or you don't, bud. Like, fuck off. No, he wants them to be political for him. Yeah. Like... <laughs> True. So uh, that's that's the segment about the Supreme Court. But then we get to the interview segment. And the interview segment, uh, there's no clips to play. Uh, it's just him introducing one of their new employees. And I think the the reason why he wants to introduce this new employee, as opposed to some of the other new employees who just showed up, is because this one was an ex-conservative MP. 
who decided not to run this past election. His name is Kerry Diot, and uh, he was an MP for the Conservative Party in Alberta. And so, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> kind of gross that this Conservative MP uh, has decided to, to work with Rebel News. I guess he was a journalist prior to uh, becoming an MP, and so... He explains on the show that, like, this is my return to journalism. But he's not good at it. We watched a clip of it on stream last night, his first piece, which was him just asking people on the street what they feel about drug decriminalization. And he's very not good. He's old, for one. Uh, so he's not good at, like, thinking on his feet. <laughs> no offense to old people, but, like, he he in particular was not good at thinking on your feet. I'm sure there's old people out there who could do it. Uh, but then he also just wasn't uh, wasn't good at, at asking questions, with, which is like, you would think, I don't know, you would be better at public speaking if you were a politician before this, but I don't know. But again, the only reason I want to bring this up as well is because this is, a, a, again, them making inroads with the Conservative Party. And... I don't like that. Yeah. So then we get to June 7th. And it begins with Ezra playing some dude's TikTok about how crowded Pearson Airport is. And this has been a, a common theme lately where it's like a lot of airport content. Aren't airports so crowded and busy and they have these vaccine mandates? And, uh, and like, honestly, I don't care. I really don't fucking care. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> Well, you okay? So you it's all, take a really long time. oh Vienna, <laughs> going overseas on vacation? <laughs> Kiss, yeah, you know, like it well, cares okay. about being able to get on a plane on time. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's interesting how they've like flattened this into a like purely COVID thing, though, because it's mostly about like staffing issues like the air yeah like the staffing issues because like they're refusing to hire people or pay well or like you know etc 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 like and there's a bunch of people in training right now that will fix these issues but amazingly training takes time so yeah like you know but give I, a few months and the problems will be solved but i gotta get from a to b vienna <laughs> Like, and the other thing too is like the big reason that there's staffing or, sh or staffing shortages is because when the airports were getting less traffic during like the height of the pandemic, the airports just fired a bunch of people. So amazingly, they moved on into other careers or to other airports or whatever, whatever, whatever. And it's like, okay, maybe if you just paid these people to stay home for a few months and then brought them back once things were better, wouldn't be in this situation, but no. Yeah, but giving them money makes the money sad and causes sadflation. So This is true. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, other than that, and your uh, personal desire to be on time going to Finland, I, I don't care about this issue. <laughs> the other thing I, I do... Ooh, like say like yeah i care about this because it's a fucking workers rights issue too like you know I, sorry if let people me rephrase. are being like nope nope jody's anti-worker jody's anti-worker <laughs> i don't care um, about ezra's perspective on this issue <laughs> nope jody dis 
biases, people who are overworked, underpaid, (laughs) exhausted, getting yelled at all the time by stressed out travelers. Um, And Jody wants them to be actively miserable as often as possible. Yeah, well, listen, what's what's better, me being anti-worker or you wanting to shoot people in a Hyperloop tube until they're paced? <laughs> I don't know what's Jody, better. Jody, that is also pro-worker. Think about the number of jobs that'll create. Uh, true. I mean, someone has to operate the pace tube. You're not wrong. So they got to build it. They got to operate it. They got to do the cleanup work afterwards. Uh, maintenance. Yeah, yeah sanitation <laughs> no f- fair enough uh, do you, what, sanitation <laughs> we want the what are we just letting be... the are we letting the paste rot on the wall no <laughs> <laughs> gotta clean up afterwards fair enough my apologies thank uh, you thank you for not misrepresenting my position <laughs> unlike me who would never do that to you <laughs> so uh we are going to move into a, a, a portion that's, uh, I mean, we just had a conversation about turning people into paste, but we are going to get into uh, some icky territory in terms of uh, transphobia and, and talking about, uh, well, pedophilia will be mentioned. We're not necessarily going to be talking directly about it, but I, I just wanted to have some sort of content warning that we will be getting into the transphobia section of the show. Although I will say in terms of transphobia, like, We've covered worse things on the show, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I should also say there's homophobia here, too, but uh, we are going to talk about this. So Ezra ends up interviewing this guy named Alex Stein, and Alex Stein recently started making, I guess, media appearances on the right wing, sort of like media sphere, because he tried to enter this event that was called Drag Your Kids to Pride. That was taking place in Dallas, Texas, where he was then pushed out by some members of the LGBTQ community and then went on Tucker Carlson to talk about how he was attacked by like gay Antifa. So Ezra now is a part of that media sphere where now Alex Stein is coming on to Ezra's show to talk about it. I should also say that Alex Stein is a part of the glenn beck network blaze tv he's also someone who became known to the right-wing sphere as being this guy who turned uh like town halls and city hall and school board meetings into like his opportunity to have a dedicated audience to do his like stupid comedy routines so he he literally shows up at school boards and puts on a show and to like very bored looking school trustee members that are sitting there just being like, oh my God, I have to by law give you this two minutes of free floor time, but I don't want to be here right now. <laughs> so this is how this guy got known. He's a piece of shit, uh, mm-hmm. just to put it bluntly. And we're going to get into some of that now. But I do want to talk about what this event was. So it made its rounds on Twitter. Everyone has probably seen the images already. Anyone who exists in the same sort of like Twitter sphere that I do, which was that there was this event at a gay bar in Dallas, Texas, where 
uh, parents brought their children to this event that was called Drag Your Kids to Pride. Now, a lot of them focused on that name, but I thought it was a cute pun. I, I like I, <laughs> It's about people uh, wearing drag and, you know, teaching kids how to like walk on a runway was like the gist of what I got from it. And it was like a confidence building type of activity and also like to support pride. Now, one of the things that they freaked out about was since this is a gay bar at night, it hosts gay people who will drink at the bar. And on the wall was this neon uh, sort of like writing that said uh, it doesn't lick itself or something like this. And so a lot of them reacted like, oh, my God, they're just they're trying to sexually groom and indoctrinate the children at this drag your kid to pride event and this is so stupid because like i don't i don't think any of the kids that participated in that event know what the hell it doesn't lick itself means or picked yeah. up on the sexual innuendo and then on top of it i've heard worse sexual innuendos on spongebob okay <laughs> like there's tons of sexual innuendos throughout all of our cartoons and they were put in there because the writers are adults and they want something to go over the kids' heads and make the, the parents laugh. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I really don't care that this neon sign was there. But they seem to to mean that, like, it being there is a symbol that they were trying to groom the kids or whatever. Hmm. Yeah. Now, on top of that, there was instances where the people in drag were dancing or would do splits or something. And they interpreted this as the drag performers uh, dancing like strippers and therefore being sexual around the kids. And that's not what it was. I've seen kids do splits before. And like, <laughs> I don't I don't understand why their brains go in this direction. It's like they just can't separate someone having a different lifestyle with them. They have to make it sexual in nature or like deviant where it's like, just let the person dress and do what they do like nothing about any of the footage that comes out was anyway sexual uh it's the perverted right wingers who are making it sexual or thinking yeah. it's sexual so anyways this is the event and the other the other end of this is it got sort of like bombarded by a lot of right wingers uh including far right right wingers like uh somebody named John Doyle, who we've talked about on stream before, and who occasionally goes on Rebel News. In fact, he was interviewed by Rebel News, because Rebel News sent an employee to this event as well, the Drag Your Kids to Pride thing. And John Doyle is is pretty much a Nazi. I, I don't, like, he's, he's talked about killing communists on his YouTube show that's still posted up on YouTube. Like, the guy, the guy's a fascist. There's no, <laughs> there's no hiding that. Yeah. And... He, like, so the people who showed up to this were, like, violent right-wingers. And the police ended up showing up. And the interesting thing to me, because normally when I go to, like, a protest, the police are facing all of us with their backs to the fascists. But this is the first time where I've seen the police with their backs to the LGBTQ people facing the fascists. And it was like, to me, that signaled that even in this case, the police realized that these far-right shitheads were the bigger threat you know and so i just yeah, want that's, to... <laughs> that's very rare like very rare and oh. so this this is where we're at so now alex is going to talk about what's happening 
And Alex begins by trying to ex uh, trying to explain that he's actually cool with gay people. Okay, he thinks it's okay for people to be gay, but. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll, I'll just ask you, what do you think his issue was with what happened? You know, he's okay, it's okay to be gay, but what, what, is, what is the main issue? What would you Having expect? kids there and therefore sexualizing. Listen, like a lot of conservatives are ultra conservative and they are really against gay marriage and they're against, you know, the gay agenda. But for me, I don't really I don't mind. I mean, if a person wants to be a homosexual and do that in their private life, I actually don't care. And if a person wants to drag and go to a drag club and have drag brunch. Go ahead. This is a free country. I'm a libertarian in that mindset. But once you target children, because that's what this was, this was like, I imagine in college or, or in high school when a drug dealer gives a kid their first drug, the, the first drug is always free because they're trying to get you hooked. That's the kind of vibrational energy this had, like come into this bar. Because I remember in a call, when I was in college, going to a bar was the coolest thing ever. So you indoctrinate these kids, making it think, oh, well, if I'm gay, maybe I'll get to hang out at bars. I'll get to dance. And you had these parents. See, this is the problem. Having a trans kid is a lot like having a vegan cat. It's not the cat or the kid making the decision. It's the owner or the parent. And that was the problem here. It was the lack of parental guidance. And the parents should be held accountable more than the kids. But you nailed it. They were insinuating stripping. That it's not going to lick itself. All this was sexualized. It wasn't just some simple family outing. This is a sexual indoctrination of young children and toddlers, Ezra. See, gay bars are so cool that merely being in their presence will make you gay in the future, right? That's One drug. They yeah. give you one drug for free. <laughs> Once you go to one gay bar, you got you to gotta do the rest. You, you got to go all the way. I don't think I've ever met anybody who like that the whole like drug myth of like oh yeah the dealer gives you the first one for free that's not how it works <laughs> are you talking about friends sharing things with one another because that's amazingly a different situation they've seen it in a movie once i bet you any money that's like where it comes from or like you know the cops telling you in like grade six when you're like you know yeah, 10 or 11 or 12 years old and the cops come in and are like don't do drugs don't sniff glue and it's you know the same kind of thing where it's like kids are then just like oh you can sniff glue that's and how the glue dealer gets you <laughs> yeah one free sniff <laughs> and then and then you're just buying crates of elmer's glue <laughs> waves that under your nose once just a little uh, smell tester there's they're stupid yeah. <laughs> some of this like you have no there's nothing to say back to it but it's just like I, we have to address it because like they're, they've really whipped up this frenzy against LGBTQ people such that they had white nationalists come to this event to harass parents with their kids like that yeah. that's the people who are really like harming children in this instance were the people who came with cameras to document this quote unquote child abuse and then like were violent towards those parents you know and towards mm -hmm. the, the LGBTQ people who attended this event, you know, that's the real violence here. Uh, and so it is worth highlighting. But like, like I mean, like, it, they have to make it about the attack on children because otherwise it does become about like you have, it's clear that you don't like gay or trans people, you know. 
but but they can't come right out and say this. I mean, Alex has to also say that he actually likes gay people, but I don't fucking believe it. And like, and, and they have to make it about the kids because it's the only the uh, other than that, the argument has to be that there's something inherently wrong with being gay or trans, such that like merely having a kid at a gay bar could possibly make them gay in the future. Therefore, what? Like, who cares? If there's nothing wrong with being gay, then let them go to the gay bar and become gay in the future. Like, who the fuck cares? You know? And then also, like, the trans kid comment about, like, comparing it to the vegan, vegan cat. Yeah. And, like, you know, the ownership of kids, right? Like, it's... Children have no agency, have no opinions, have no existence outside of the ownership and control of their parents. And then... Well, I don't know about you... Know, you but my cat, you know, does math and go to school just like my four and seven year old. <laughs> my cat does mathematics. So, you know, uh, checkmate, it's a rational being. It's just we force our diets upon them. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. These two things are exactly the same. Everything in the world is exactly the same. So we th- they then have a convoluted discussion about pedophilia. And this clip is a bit long, but I feel like it is worth playing because this is sort of like the the crux of uh, them participating in what, what can only be described as stochastic terrorism towards LGBTQ people. So, uh, again, like, I don't even... I think if you already uh, uh, dipped out because of a content warning, it's not going to be bad what we're going to hear, but it really is them sort of like stoking the fear-mongering that is going to lead to violence against uh LGBTQ people. I, I think the decision to, to target children is what is the crisis here. And it's a cover for pedophilia. And and these are not subjects that we talk a lot about on this show. I, I find them distasteful to talk about. But I think what they're doing is they're using the political me- momentum of pride and gay pride and gay equality and gay marriage, which is all about adult things. And they're... And, Targeting children is a stowaway. It's sneaking in. Uh, I mean, if you look at the modern pride flag, there's so many colors on there. It's much more than just the rainbow. I think they're trying to have a little stowaway. If you're getting eight, nine, ten-year-old kids involved, that's not gay or straight anymore. That is pedophilia. And I can't even believe I'm using these words, but I, I really think that's what it is. Well, Ezra, you're not wrong. Listen, Prince Andrew, the Queen's son, there's evidence that he was sleeping with an underage person hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein. Bill Clinton, one of the most popular presidents in the United States, was on the Lolita Express 26 times with no secret service. Dennis Hastert, Secretary of the State, excuse me, Speaker of the House, was a convicted pedophile. So there are people in high powerful positions that have uh, uh, attacked children. So this is a bigger issue than just, oh, gay or straight. This is an attack on young kids that are the most vulnerable and the most easily uh, to indoctrinate. You know what I mean? They're the biggest, they're, they're the kids that are the biggest victim. When we come to the COVID policies, they're the ones that still have to wear the mask. They're the ones that, you know, aren't, they're all behind in all of the standardized testing here in America, what a kid should be doing in the third grade. You know, they're not even doing it up until uh, uh, freshman in high school. So a lot of what is going on in America and across the world is targeted in order to destabilize these kids' youth and take it away as soon as possible. Yeah, and, you know, you had a, you had a list of people who uh, were well-known to consort with Jeffrey Epstein. I think you left out Bill Gates and his yeah. repeated visits to meet with Jeffrey Epstein were so odious 
that even his wife, Melinda, divorced him for that reason. Here's just a quick reminder to our viewers of Melinda Gates saying that's why they divorced. Take a look at this. He then plays the clip that he does all the time. I just thought, like, I, I wanted to include that last bit just to go full circle because he started off this clip by saying they never talk about pedophilia stuff. He plays that Bill Cl Gates clip almost every week. Like, he's in, yeah. he's talked about pedophilia almost every week for the past year. There's <laughs> So, like, I don't know about him. Like, oh, I don't know. It's such an icky topic. I never talk about it. What, whatever, bud. You had that clip on the ready for this show. <laughs> uh there's just so much there that like doesn't that is frustrating with how they talk about this because all the people like they're not wrong there's people in positions of power that have abused children what does that have to do with lgbtq stuff you know and like the mere act of associating these two things together and by making it nefarious like oh they're hiding they somehow i guess in the rainbow colored flag somewhere there's a color for pedophilia they're like hiding it from us or whatever like the fuck he was trying to get at like no it was just so incoherent too like it was a lot of buzzwords and a lot of like here is something unrelated to what we're talking about but mentions a similar thing and just like, you know, letting other people draw the implications from that type of shit too. Like, because, you know, the Prince, like, the Prince Andrew stuff, the like Epstein stuff in general, like, doesn't relate really to what they were talking about. But by bringing it up, it lets people make the connections between that and like LGBTQ stuff so that you have the like, oh, all all queer people are like, you know, legitimate targets for violence because they're all trying to target children. And that's, you know, end of the day, that's the goal. But it's also just like, you know, he still has the deniability of being like, oh, I was talking about this, you know, talking about pedophilia as a general phenomena or whatever else. Like, but linking it to LGBTQ people, like you're, mm -hmm. you're associating and making it some sort of nefarious plot by LGBTQ people to yeah, hide yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And making them, like, this is why it is. This is like the definition of sto stochastic terrorism. You're making it more likely that people are going to see LGBTQ people as, like, uh, perpetrators of violence against children and therefore going to be targets of their harassment and violence, which happened yeah. at this event when white nationalists showed up to harass them. Well, and what was that thing? It was in Idaho... Or something that happened earlier today or yesterday where the cops arrested 31 members of like oh, patriot yeah. front and whatever else that were on their way to a pride event all dressed in the same shit all like you know ready to instigate some sort of violence this is where you know the kind of rhetoric that we just listened to is exactly what created that sort of thing and you know Sure, they got caught this time and the cops actually decided to do something about it, which I'm surprised about. But, you know, next time, the time after, probably not. Like, eventually this is going to be... And, you know, today, I think... I think it's today, at least, is the sixth anniversary of the Miami, the Pulse shooting. Um, You know, these things are all connected, right? Like... 
I didn't know that that I saw on Twitter yesterday the the van of uh, it, it was like a U-Haul van full yeah. of like twenty of these dudes. That that must thirty one. That <laughs> thirty one dudes all in the back yeah. of the U-Haul. Oh, that, all dressed the same, all in like kind yeah. of heavy like clothing too. Because they were releasing the photos, they they removed the masks of each one of them. So of course anti-fascists were there to like snap all their pictures, and I was yeah. just like. Where were they going? And then I was like, and why were they arrested? Like, I, I was too busy that I didn't do the follow-up. But like, Jesus. Uh, if Yeah, if if what, what you got, and I assume it is correct, that they were heading towards a, a Pride event, that's... This is fucked. Yeah, I'll... I'll share the New York Times article for... I imagine by the time this is out, most people will have heard about it, but it'll still be in the show notes. So yeah, it's, it's really fucked up. But I, I will... Uh, uh, well, actually, one one last thing to, to mention about the clip that we just listened to that I thought was just absurd was Alex, I guess, implied there that they're teaching like like grade nines what they should be learning in grade three. Like there's mm. a six year difference. And he almost implied that it was because of COVID that somehow because of the COVID restrictions we're now like kids are six years behind. What the fuck is he talking about? Like, I, I, It's just a, like... I mean, you really could just say whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. As someone, I used to be an RA for a developmental lab. I, I don't think that's actually possible to just fall six years behind. Like that. In the span of two years to be six years behind, I, I don't know that that's possible. At all. They invented um like time stasis and they just hit all the kids in the US with that for however long. True. Yeah. True. Uh, They're so, all put in vats <laughs> to just like sit there and age, but not be able to experience anything else. Well, but they had to wear masks while in the vats. So. Oh, well, yeah, and that delayed also... them even further. So. Yeah. 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 Now we will end with one more clip. And uh, this is sadly ironic, giving all the like hidden pedophilia accusation type shit. Because uh, this is hiding a lot more, uh, this clip. But. At one point, Ezra asks Alex about the Antifa pres- presence at this event. And, like, honestly, like, sure, all the LGBTQ people that were fighting back against these assholes, yeah, they're probably Antifa in the sense that they don't like fascists. So, cool. But, like, they talk about them as if they're, like, this militant wing that was ready to fight the the white nationalists there, you know? It's like, no, it was probably just LGBTQ people in that community that didn't want a bunch of fascist assholes ruining their event. Uh, and we're there to protect parents. So, but anyways, Ezra asks about the uh, Antifa presence at the event, and this is how Alex responds. But tell me, it looked like Antifa were on the outside. I, I think you pulled the mask off someone's face. Was that Antifa? Why were they there? What did they say and do? Well, Ezra, those Antifa, they know me because I've I've been to many protests in Denton, Texas, at what is called the University of North Texas, which is a very liberal college, even though it's a state school. And so they know me. They have a thing called the John Brown Gun Club, which uh, John Brown is a guy that went around and, and uh, shot people that he was, you know, had uh, disagreements with that he considered conservative. <laughs> yep. What? Yep. <laughs> That's what John Brown was known for. Yep. Yeah. What else could it have been? There was nothing. He wasn't targeting people who, you know, owned other people or anything like that. 
He wasn't a well-known abolitionist who killed slave owners. Not at all. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> no. He was just targeting helpless conservatives. And was also murdered for doing that. Yeah. Isn't this incredible? I know, but it's the LGBTQ people who are hiding their politics. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, I've seen John Brown's gun. Sick. It's here. Like it's in um, Buxton, which is the oh, town that, like that's based off of uh, Harry Beecher Stowe, like uh, Uncle Tom's cabin. Yeah, yeah. It's like an hour away from here. Sweet. Let's go on a pilgrimage. Yeah. Check out John Brown's gun. Yeah, it, it's a cool little museum there too. They still have like the original or a recreation of the original schoolhouse that was built there too. Um, like the town sent the first like university black university graduates in Canada, um, and like the school was so good that like they voluntarily integrated uh, with the like white school because they're in South Buxton and the white school was in North Buxton and the North Buxton school closed so they could all go to the other one. It's a cool place. Anyways, side note, just John Brown related. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, John Brown, uh, cool dude for, for those reasons. I think the funny thing is, like, I don't even know what his, strictly his politics were because, like, he was motivated largely by religion for wanting to abolish slavery. He thought he was on, like, a mission from God, you know, which, yeah. which if anything, lends itself to some conservative ideas, you know. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean... I haven't learned enough about John Brown to know exactly where he landed, like if he was a socialist or anything like that. But I think we would probably call him like something close to a Christian communist type of thing today. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's the history but... of that sort of stuff is always so fascinating to me too, because of how intimately it relates to like Southern Ontario, because it's like, you know, Frederick Douglass and John Brown and all of these sorts of people like toured Southern Ontario to build up funds to go help with abolition and then immediately post-civil war all of the confederate generals that wanted to escape like war crimes trials moved to southern ontario <laughs> so like we have this such like intimate history with all of this but it's just like never talked about or discussed no yeah no that's i mean all that history is is interesting even like the history yeah. of like of reconstruction and the aftermath of all of this it's like super interesting but like again we rarely ever talk about it let alone in canada but also in the united states that like never address it uh, mm -hmm. but yeah but like it like listen to these people like <laughs> to fucking to to like sum up the legacy of john brown as just a dude who shoots conservatives is just so fucked up monumentally fucked up uh on yeah. epic levels of fucked upness uh to, to just throw that out there <laughs> casually in this fucking interview is incredible. Incredible. So that that was that. We, we go on to, to June 8th. And uh, now we get into the, the transhumanism portion of the show. So we, we learn who the mastermind is behind the Great Reset and the World Economic Forum. The person who's puppeteering Klaus Schwab. And that is Yuval Noah Harari. Hmm. So he's <laughs> he's been mentioned by Ezra several times. And every time I'm like, one of these days I should do like a, a, a quasi look into this guy, see what it's all about, see if any of this like rings true, any of that stuff. But so I guess now now is the time because Ezra's 
this is Ezra's, this is the most Ezra has gone into him to like really sort of like wrestle with the ideas. Because like every other time he's been brought up, it's just been used so Ezra can go like, ew, eating bugs, ew, like transhumanism, we're all going to be like robots to Bill Gates or something, you know. But this time he like actually sort of like plays a lot of clips. And he actually refers, he even refers to it later, uh, to Harari later on as Klaus Schwab's muse. But he even states it right at the beginning that he calls Harari Klaus Schwab's muse. And like, to me, this is, uh, at first I was like vaguely anti-Semitic, but I'm like, this is anti-Semitic. Because uh, Harari has spoken at the WEF, so the World Economic Forum, uh, twice, once in 2018 and once in 2020. And so he has appeared literally two times just to speak at these World mm-hmm. Economic Forum conferences. And that's enough for you, you've, Harari to be this like mysterious backroom figure who's like controlling and manipulating everything. He just so happens to also be an atheist Jewish gay man. Okay? <laughs> uh like I wonder, I wonder why him, out of all the other like many people have, who have spoken at the World Economic Forum, why Harari? Did I say something incorrect? <laughs> you said speaking. Speaking. There we go. Speaking. Um, yeah, no, like he's just like a kind of generic, liberally, like Israeli academic, like nothing exciting or prominent or whatever like he writes popular history and like pop sci like popular popular science like boring books (laughs) they're they're quite popular i will admit like both in the sense of like kind of generic and like accessible and also like people really seem to get stuff out of them but that's that's all he does like i mean he's he's he studies or well like he's he's approaching questions about like where where is humanity heading and like the advancement of technology and stuff like this and actually like i don't know where he necessarily stands political like i haven't read his body of work but like it seems like i guess like what i want to get from this is like i'm going to play some of the clips and all this but my my sense of harari's work is actually like he he talks about a lot of these things that get quoted out of context when if you actually sort of look at the body of his work it seems to me like he's critical of the things that all the world economic forum conspiracy theorists think that he wants to bring about and like i guess that's the sort of message that i want to uh, uh take from this right so I, I will play i'll play one clip first just so that we get a sense of what Harari's sort of like positions are or at least the main issue that Ezra wants to criticize Mm -hmm. but I also want to acknowledge at the front that Ezra admits that he took a lot of these clips from conspiracy videos suggesting that like these clips are hard to come by that he had to go to like these sources that were like uh, starting to be censored off of YouTube or something. And so it's like all these conspiracy things. And he's like, I guess like on the video version, there's like text. And I don't know what all, all the text says because I don't have access to the video version of Ezra's show. But my guess is like they added color to what Harari was saying. There's also some of the clips that they played that add like sinister music. <laughs> so it's like, it's clearly coming from conspiracy people that are already 
pointing in the the narrative that Harari is this like mastermind. But like it's weird that like th- those are the sources that Ezra goes to to get this information about Harari, and a lot of them are just like clips all spliced together taken out of context. But this is the one that Ezra really wants to focus on. And so we'll play it in full and there's no sinister music to any of it. So uh, this is this is Harari, the muse of Klaus Schwab. After thousands of years, during which humans were the rulers of the, of the world, authority and power will shift away from humans to computers and most humans will become economically useless and politically powerless. Already today, we are beginning to see the creation of a new class of humans, the useless class. Just as the Industrial Revolution in the 19th century created the new working class, the proletariat, so now the artificial intelligence revolution is beginning to create the useless class. So right off the top of your head, like what are your what are your feelings of that brief clip? No thoughts. To me, like I don't know if the artificial revolution is going to do what Harari thinks it may do in creating this class of people. Uh, you know, we a lot of these futurist types, and I'm not saying I haven't read Harari's work, so I'm not saying that he thinks this, but you know, it's like the self-driving car was right around the corner. You know. Oh, you said he, he does. does. Yeah, yeah. So he does. Yeah. So like, he's... this is what I mean by like liberally, like optimistic about technology, like just kind of Elon Musk, but like slightly less racist. You know, like. But even if that's you... as good as we're gonna get. But even if you sort of like take it at its face, like I don't care that someone's writing speculative stuff about this. Like, what if AI makes jobs redundant or whatever? and you have a class of people who are no longer useful, economically speaking, then how will we need to restructure society to deal with this? Like, I don't mind that there's people out there thinking about these questions and, like, writing books on that. Like, why not, you know? But, like, it seems like, I mean, you could tell already that Ezra's going to take, like, issues with, like, he's calling us useless. (laughs) (laughs) Or, like... Or, or, or even suggesting that somehow Harari wants to bring this about. Because even in what you just, like, listen, like, there's nothing in what Harari said to suggest that this is, like, a good outcome. It just seems like this could be an inevitable outcome of, like, the growth of artificial intelligence or something like this. I just, I gotta say, I would much rather read, like, decent sci-fi on a subject yeah. like this <laughs> than True. somebody being like, oh, wow listen to my smart person thoughts on technology. Like it just, it at least rings with like a bit of like actually thought outness when you're reading it in sci-fi. Yeah, well, yeah, I think it's cause like it also contextualizes it. And I think like, I think the other thing is like having it be in a kind of like nonfiction scenario, I think makes it seem more plausible than it really is. Like this is a work of science or something like this, but it's still a kind of speculative fiction. You know, the AI still isn't here, you know, or at least the AI's here. It's just not at the level they're speculating that it's going to make all of our jobs redundant. Mm-hmm. So Ezra goes on to play a bunch of other clips like Harari suggesting that uh, future humans will be solely consumers where most of us will do drugs and play video games. And 
Ezra takes these snippets of points made by Harari to imply this is what he actually wants to happen, uh, and that this is part of his own nothing and be happy agenda, even though, again, Harari had nothing to do with that article written for, or written by someone that was then shared by the World Economic Forum on social media. Ezra then plays a bunch of clips where Harari says there's no such thing as free will, that new religions will come out of Silicon Valley, and that Jesus didn't resurrect upon his death. And Ezra seems to particular seems like to laser focus on the Jesus thing. But then I'm like, does that mean that Ezra thinks that Jesus resurrected as a as a Jewish person? Like, why would you take issue with that? Uh, yeah, that, <laughs> I told you his like Christian Christian conversion arc is is on the way. But it's also like. Harari, a gay secular Jew. Why is it bad for him to not believe the Christian mythos? Like, of course he wouldn't believe the Christian mythos. I don't like. I don't know. Is that really? Is that really so shocking? You're just like blown away. I, I should mention, uh, Ezra plasted as the blurb to Shakedown a quote by Christopher Hitchin on his like book you know, a prominent atheist that said, like, religion poisons everything. Like, I don't know. He seemed to be, like, not worried about atheists before, such that he would blurb them on his book cover. But because Harari is a part of the World Economic Forum, like, he has to, like, ooh, they're, they're atheists or something. Ezra then even criticizes one of Harari's books that's titled Homo Deus, and he's saying... Ezra admits to never having read the book, but says based on that title, this is evidence that Harari is striving to become a god because it's like humans as god, homo deus, like kind of like idea. So really this is, the book is evidence that Harari wants to become god. But the book, like I haven't read it either, but like I was reading some of the articles on it and it seems to have more to do about human beings striving to like, uh, conquer, uh, you know, life to live forever and things like this. And the book actually is very pessimistic about this project, ironically enough, uh, in terms of the, the sort of like more like liberal thinkers or like people like Ray Kurzweil who uh, wrote The Age of Spiritual Machines and thinking that we were going to accomplish this like 10 years ago. Uh, <laughs> And so, in that sense, like, it's not, it really isn't. I mean, like, the, here's the closing line of the book Homo Deus, okay? Harari ends by asking, what will happen to society, politics, and daily life when non-conscious but highly intelligent algorithms know us better than we know ourselves? And he just leaves that hanging there. And that, to me, it's like, this is someone who's, like, struggling with this and not, like, going, wouldn't it be great? <laughs> Wouldn't this be so amazing if this happened, you know? Like, I, from even, like, listening to his clips, I do not get that vibe. Yeah. Ezra even plays a clip of Harari admitting to not owning a cell phone. Or, or a smartphone, actually, because of the algorithms and them, like, controlling his brain or whatever. And Ezra takes this as Harari choosing not to be hacked but wanting everyone else to be hacked by the WEF. 
And I'm just like, I don't know, maybe he's just genuinely worried about the spread of AI and its effects on our consciousness. <laughs> Which gets it like, he already mentioned the free will thing. I'll, I'll just like tell Ezra, not only am I an atheist, I also don't think that free will is a thing. And in fact, wrote my master's uh, on this, my master's thesis for philosophy on this subject, uh, arguing that there's no such thing as free will. And, like, part of it, of Harari's argument is similar to my own, which is that, like, we are products of our circumstance a lot of the time. And just, like, the fact that, like, we're product by the media we consume and what, like, the algorithms are designed to feed to us, you know? And so, like, why, like, is that really a controversial thing to say? I don't know. Just Ezra Stupid... I do not really care about this dude. Uh, you, BDS. I'm invoking BDS. <laughs> well, I got one. This is how Ezra ends it anyway. So this is him summing up Harari. So now, I, I didn't play a lot of those clips. Uh, uh, just walking through it because of all the like large, like the sinister music that played all over it. But this is how Ezra sums it all up and, and what he thinks of Harari's work. So, here it goes. These people believe in, in no future, or at least no future for us, other than as consumers, no free will. We're hackable. We serve the masters. We're useless in all other ways. He sometimes says economically useless, because that's all he care about, useless. Are you a useless person? But I think he's wrong. I think every person has a use. There's a plan greater than Klaus Schwab's plan, his great reset. There's a plan greater than Bill Gates's plans. Every person has a nobility in them, a grace. Every person is made in God's image. They have a little spark in them. Real life and real emotion is better than drugs. Men and women falling in love and creating families is better than artificial intelligence, virtual reality porn. And though he hangs out with billionaires and oligarchs, the meaning of life is actually to be found, I think, in the mass of humanity, in the billions of people teeming, living, wanting to live, wanting to be free, wanting to improve their lot in life, wanting to improve the lives of their children even more, wanting to be more than just a consumer. It's interesting. Harari, of course, doesn't have any children himself. I think Yuval Noah Harari has been spending too much time in places like Davos, I think, he needs to visit with normal people, with, with children. Not those who hate children, with people who have a sense of purpose. I don't want to be part of his death cult, his consumer cult. I don't want to have a microchip in me. I don't want to be tracked. I don't consent to surveillance. I did not consent to COVID surveillance. Maybe he's just a futurist with an active imagination. Maybe he's just a storyteller. Maybe. But he is the muse for some deeply evil men who have penetrated our governments, including here in Canada. There you have it. He's a muse. He's this, he's, he needs, he spends all his time in Davos twice <laughs> for two, two, two talks. Uh, but he's just, he's always there and he just hangs around these people, you know, it, he doesn't hang around normal people, you know, like students at his university where he teaches. <laughs> yeah, it's just so... 
None of his stuff sounded like a death cult. None of it, like... Like, he's a liberal. He's hopeful about the future. That's their whole deal. That's their whole shtick. I don't even get hopeful vibes from him. I get (laughs) from at least the things that I've read. Like, he thinks he's worried about machines, like, controlling us to a certain extent. I mean, maybe the hope is... uh, Maybe in his work, he also, like, there's ways that we can utilize it for the better. But, like, weird that yeah. Ezra never focuses on that stuff. He just highlights the stuff where Harari is speaking pessimistically <laughs> about the state of technology. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh... And it's easy to, like, of course you could go through that and, like, quote mine it and be like, oh, look, he's talking about, like, you can microchip people's brains and hack them. Okay. Does that mean he's planning on doing it? <laughs> he's literally one of those, like, long arm of progress type of dudes. Like, he's like, oh, wow, things have gotten so much better, and they're just going to keep on chugging that way, even though some things might get worse. You know, if we really just bootstrap it, we'll, we'll make the world a better place like we always have. Like, he's that type. So it's just such a weird interpretation of him to be like, oh, yeah. He wants everybody to get microchips and die. Like, totally disconnected from the actual, very kind of boring bog standard beliefs that he has. The, the last thing that I want to do with this is because, like, another person might come and go, well, like, oh, yeah, well, why did he speak at Davos then? Doesn't, like, speaking at Davos mean you're, like, a part of the, the cult of the World Economic Forum? And so I want to play this clip from 2019, which was uh, at Davos, at the World Economic Forum. And this is a person named Rutger Bregman. And this is what he said on stage at Davos. So here we go. This is my first time at Davos. And, uh, and I find it quite a bewildering experience, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, 1,500 private jets have flown in here to hear Sir David Attenborough speak about, you know, how we're wrecking the planet. And uh, I mean, I hear people talk in the language of participation and justice and equality and transparency. But then, I mean, almost no one raises the real issue of tax avoidance, right? And of the rich just not paying their fair share. I mean, it feels like I'm at a firefighters conference and no one's allowed to speak about water. I mean, this is not rocket science. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can talk for a very long time about all these stupid (laughs) philanthropy schemes. We can invite Bono once more, but come on, it's, we gotta be talking about taxes. That's it, taxes, taxes, taxes. All the rest is bullshit, in in my opinion. Gotta be talking about Texas. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Rutger was not well received at Davos, but he was still invited and gave a, a talk because like what Davos is, is a bunch of rich people patting themselves on the back pretending like they're solving large social issues. That's all it is. And so they invited Rutger, who wrote a book about uh, uh, how to create a utopia. Uh, Now he's more of like, uh, he leans to the left, okay? But they invited him anyways, so they're like, "Let's, let's have an ideas festival and get everyone's ideas. So it's like them inviting Harari is like inviting Rutger here, which is just a bunch of people so that rich people can feel good about themselves. Yeah, we listen to people. We're listening. We're engaging in some listening right now. (laughs) (sighs) And yet it's weird to take that as somehow evidence of like the sinister plot. Like is Rutger a part of the sinister plot? It's also, sorry, what year was Harari there? 2018 2018? and 2020. 
So the year that his 21 Lessons for the 21st Century came out. So, you know, he was in the upcycle. Yeah, whoa. Whoa! They wanted a guy who wrote a really well-read book that rich people really read to come talk at the rich people conference. So they could all be like, wow, my favorite author is here. That's so fun. Like... And Rutgers shows up and tells them right to their face, like, all you rich people who are attending this event, you're not pay- paying your fair share, and you're engaging in tax avoidance schemes, and that's what we should be talking about. And he called them out right to their faces. So it's like, it's not even that they have, like, some sort of control over their guests either. It's like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's it's just, like, amazing that they've spun this conspiracy theory out of, like, wh- what is, if anything another version of ted talks like that's all this is cool and the weird thing is so we went through all of that we got this grand conspiracy okay and then who is our guest lord conrad black who used to be one of the early members of the world economic forum who only ended up not being a member of the World Economic Forum when he was convicted of fraud. And now, Ezra wants to bring him on board to be a scholar-in-residence for his democracy uh, project, which is the, the... or the Democracy Fund, sorry, which is the Rebel News-created charity organization to fight all those COVID fines. So Conrad Black is now uh, quasi-employed by Rebel or being funded as a scholar-in-residence. I don't know what the fuck's happening. But, like, Conrad Black now is going to write things for the Rebel as a scholar about the civil rights of Canadians. When are we getting Rebel University? Well, right now. He's a scholar-in-residence. Yeah. We- <laughs> well, but he's not teaching yet is the difference. There's a residence. There's a place to go. <laughs> The residence is just like Mocha's apartment. Hell yeah. Uh, well, they got Conrad Black money now. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he's the one funding them right now. Like, I don't fucking know. Yeah. It, it's just, again, like, Conrad Black was, like, a member of the World Economic Forum, was a member of the Bilderberg Group. Like, he's, he's, so was Klaus Schwab. He's probably known and met Klaus Schwab many fucking times. And yet, like, Ezra's just, like, after doing this huge conspiracy piece about all these people and how they're, like, this sinister plot being manipulated by this Harari guy, then he's like, I'm going to get the guy who's also their friend <laughs> to come on my show and, and now work for us. Like, <laughs> and Conrad Black is fucked up. Like, uh, just have to say that. I mean, like, you know. Funny how, like, Ezra always loves to, like, criticize liberal MPs who have, like, broken the law at some point. Like, Stephen Gilbo, who dropped the banner Bush and uh, Canada climate killers off the CN Tower. And, like, oh, my God, how dare he do that? And yet, Ezra himself has hired a convicted spousal abuser named Avi Yamini, uh, a person who defied COVID restrictions, several of them. Tamara Ugolini is the first to come to mind because she hopped on a beach in uh, Coburg, even though she wasn't allowed to. And, uh... Now hires Conrad Black, who's a convicted fraudster. He can and he and he wants this convicted fraudster to be the resident for his charity. 
<laughs> well, listen, gotta make that money back somehow. But this two-time speaker for the World Economic Forum, Harari, he's he's the problem. He's the problem right now. Now, I don't have a lot to talk about, Conrad, in terms of the actual content. They just talk a lot about civil rights uh, and the history of civil rights in Canada. And probably a lot of it is wrong and messed up, but it was boring and I don't care. However, the very last thing Conrad said is, is well, special. Special in its bigotry. And so... Ezra ends by trying to account for why the legal system isn't focused on civil rights anymore. Because, like, in his mind, you know, they failed on COVID, etc. So now the legal system has completely forgotten about civil rights. Even though we began this episode by Ezra, uh, you know, worrying that, like, the Supreme Court was going to ruin comedians' rights as they harass disabled people. So, uh, but, but of course, harassing disabled persons, uh, not a civil right. We, we should be allowed to do that. Uh, and comedians should be able to do whatever they want. But Ezra frames this, says that, we've, that the legal system and the judges have forgotten their roots, which is why they have not sided with these people who want to spread disease in this country. And this is Conrad's addition to Ezra saying this, which almost seems disconnected, but Conrad literally just goes to this. Because if you know Conrad... Of course he's going to go here, uh, and we'll talk about it afterwards. We, we have to some extent been sidelined by this issue of the Native people. And I, I, I want to be clear, I think the Native people have a legitimate grievance, and we have to do better. I would state that at the outset. But the, the courts have become, and not just the Supreme Court, but the appellate courts generally in the West, have become so preoccupied with these issues that they focused more on that, and that has tended to diminish the rights of everybody else to some extent. Hmm. 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 Maybe hmm. one of the issues at the heart of the foundation of this country is something important to a country that wants to maintain its supposed legal legitimacy. Hmm. I mean, hmm. like, do you... It's such a stupid thing to say anyways, because it's like... Was the case we talked about at the beginning of this episode about indigenous people? No. So, All clearly... Are, <laughs> clearly, the legal system is going on with its work... Even though apparently all they focus on is indigenous issues to the detriment of everything else. Nothing else gets done. Because they're just solely preoccupied with indigenous issues. This dude's a fucking idiot. Lord like, Conrad! <laughs> you know, he's, he's, a so total, he's a total down-to-earth anti-establishment type who just happens to be super rich, convicted fraudster who was a lord. But yeah. he's completely anti-establishment. I mean, he was pardoned by Donald Trump, but he's definitely 100% not connected with the establishment, which is why he's on Rebel News. Of course. Yep. Yep, that sounds about right. And it's those indigenous people that just keep, they keep getting away with everything, you know? They just keep, they keep ruining everything for us, you know? 
<laughs> a lord. A lord is worried about this. <laughs> Fucking, what a world we live in. The, the, yeah. We have two days left, but honestly, nothing happened. Uh, Ezra complains about some University of Calgary uh, paper that talked about Russian disinfo. Nothing important there. Arthur Pawlowski is going on trial. I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> he does another piece about being so oppressed because he can't fly in an airplane because he's not vaccinated, and I don't care. And uh, the very last interview on the Friday was with David Menzies, who who had this scoop. He broke this story on Patrick Brown, and the the scoop is so convoluted. I don't know what he's really what he what he broke or what's important, but I guess. There's people who are also employees for Brampton City Hall, where uh, Patrick Brown is mayor, who are now working as a part of his campaign. And there could be conflicts of interest there. There could be issues. But, like, they don't really, like, they seem to just sort of, like, gesture at it as if it is itself a problem. And on the face of it, I'm not sure that it is. And granted, like... If it was a big issue, I would have seen other media people probably pick it up and run with it. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. Story broke. <laughs> Story has been broken. <laughs> I guess, like, there could be a conflict if, like, they uh, are getting paid through City Hall to work on the campaign or something like this. But, like, they didn't break any of that. Like, it's quite possible that, like, Patrick Brown is paying for it out of, like, the campaign funds that he's raising or whatever, you know? So it's just like, is this really a scandal or did he just hire people he already works with uh, to work on his campaign? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I will say, in the in the breaking of this story, David Menzies literally stalks Patrick Brown's car as like, so Patrick Brown arrived at his campaign building, which is in Vaughn, I guess, outside of Brampton. That's the other part of their conspiracy theory. They're like, he's hiding in Vaughn. <laughs> you know, Vaughn, that's only like 20 or 30 minutes outside of Brampton. He's hiding there. <laughs> and then they chase, they, they, they're waiting for him to show up. They see his vehicle enter where the, the building is. And I guess they noticed that it was David Menzies and Rebel News. So they drive out of it. And then David Menzies and I think Lincoln Jay or whoever's with him follow him down the road and start chasing him down the highway. And I'm like, what is that, what, what that going to do? What are, are you going to like pull over Patrick Brown? <laughs> it would have been so good if it turned into a car chase and they both got, and all of them got into a car accident and died. Like, <laughs> that would have dominated the news cycle forever. <laughs> that would have been the greatest story in Canadian history. <laughs> oh, and then Ezra goes down for like uh, endangering his employees' lives by sending them on this mission. That would, you know, that would be the, the karmic justice. Yeah. Oh. God. One of these days, I'm sure, like, there's going to be a time where Ezra pushes Menzies to the limit. Menzies is going to die. And then the... <laughs> the Menzies family will sue Rebel News, and it'll be, like, an ongoing thing that eventually brings them down. That's my hope. That's, I, uh... I do not believe that, just because I do not believe anybody cares that much about Menzies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... But yeah, but what if what if they care more about destroying Rebel News than they do about David Menzies? No, because again, that would be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't know where he worked. I just knew he like did something. I guess 
Oh, way to ruin my dreams. All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think it would just be a like, oh, wow, we killed Menzies. Oops. And then nothing would happen. <laughs> <laughs> forgotten in death as he's forgotten in life. <laughs> a sad video of them scattering his ashes next to like... <laughs> Oh, they get COVID off his ashes. <laughs> They're just like at one of the pipe, like one of the oil tar sand. They, oh, they, they drop his Alberta, ashes at the tar sand. Just throwing his ashes. <laughs> oh. Rest in peace, David Menzies. <laughs> you will not be missed. I got that article again about the New York Times, that the New York Times put out about the um, ooh, Patriot Front people arrested in Idaho uh, on their way to that Pride Festival. Uh, and then I also have like a short little article um, called uh, Champagne Socialism, What Luxury Looks Like Without Rich People, um, which is a brief little history of like the um, Soviet relationship to like luxury goods particularly champagne and perfume um and like how part of the goal of very inexpensive and like readily accessed um luxury goods were just an attempt to kind of make it normal you know it wasn't just a rich person thing it was just a thing that everybody could get um and, you know, regardless of opinions on, uh, like, the Soviet experience and whatever else, it is still, like, you know, it's one of those little glimpses at a, like, oh, yeah, there were, like, at some level, like, genuine attempts to uh, make the world better, I guess, and just, like, increase people's access to things that had prior been denied to them and... Uh, you know, how that might be imagined in the future for, like, a a better and actual escape from capitalism society. Um, I don't know, it's just, like, a it's a very short, interesting little piece uh, with some fun history tidbits. But yeah, that's what I got this week. Nice. On the note, I, I just want to say, too, on, on the note of the Pride stuff, because we just uh, covered uh, aspects of stochastic uh, terrorism on this episode, but, like, you know, it's Pride Month, and I, I don't want to, uh, you know, disencourage people to have a good time and enjoy a Pride Month and any Pride activities. I'm sure any violence that could happen uh, is going to be, in the grand scheme of things, rare. But if, like, you're worried, you know, find ways of, like, going with a friend, being safe, and all that stuff. But, like, uh, don't let these assholes drag you down, you know? They're fucked up, you know? we got to be aware of them, but, like... You know, I, I often, like, worry about, like, playing this stuff to, like, discourage people to be like, there, there is this violent threat. I think, you know, we have to we have to be aware of it. It is a threat that exists. But, like, we also can't let it control our lives, you know? And so, uh, you know, it's it sucks this year. I know a lot of people have been worried about, especially the, the uh, anti-LGBTQ panic that has been happening. But uh, try to still enjoy yourselves if you can. Uh, yeah. And on on that note, enjoy Finland as well. <laughs> yes.
and we'll, we'll, we'll surprise we'll, we'll still hide it who's gonna be guesting but uh if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news if you want to stay informed about what we're doing you can also find us on twitter at imperial news of the z we have a discord set up we do twitch streams every monday wednesday and friday at 8 p.m eastern standard time although we're, we're sort of tweaking that schedule a bit so that might not uh stay the way it is but you could find videos on our youtube channel and you can find all the links in the show notes of this episode. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. And thank you for listening. And comedians, you are canceled forever. No more stand-up. No more it's comedy. Done. Yes. No more laughter. Oh, oh God, that's going to be hard for me. Ah, <laughs> uh, execution. <laughs> Oh, oh, I'm going to be punished at the Hague. <laughs> Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.